Not too long ago, uh, some people in influential positions began to notice some trends. And we're always noticing trends all the time, but this was a very interesting trend. And one of the places I saw this trend really articulated well was in a book that was written by um, this woman who used to be on the admissions staff at Stanford University. You may have heard of that little college. It is as elite as they come. Inside your bulletins, we have a, a, a sheet that we call Headlines and Happenings. On the back, we have a list of resources. Her book is one of the outstanding resources on this list. And her book is called How to Raise an Adult. So here's what she began to notice. Here's, here's this trend. Again, Stanford is one of the most elite universities in the nation. You've got to have an almost perfect resume to get on that, uh, to make the cut. And several years ago, um, what she started to notice among all these resumes, which again, were just incredible. They were, they're students who are at the top academically and athletically and in terms of activities. These are, are students who, who their, their resume is such that if Bill Gates was their age and he was applying to get at Stanford, he wouldn't get in. And I'm not exaggerating. They'd say, oh, you're good in computers, but you weren't the captain of any sports or anything, right? This is super elite. And, and what she started to notice is over the years, these high, 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 high performers weren't prepared for adulthood. They were lacking the basic competencies that you need as an adult. It's to the extent where she writes a book on how to raise an adult. And she wasn't the only one noticing these, these trends. Um, one of my daughter's teachers recommended another book that we put on your list there called The Gift of Failure. And this is a fantastic book. In fact, I would encourage you uh, to, to get this thing, and even if you're just going to read chapter one. In, in chapter one, what she does is she gives a really concise history of how we've viewed kids and teens and young people in America. And she began with colonial America, where most kids, they had significant responsibilities at home. And from there, then she went to describe the horrors of the late 19th century for kids in America, where one out of every six kids between the ages of 10 and 15 worked in factories. And she went on to describe how dangerous that was and and, and all those things. Well, rightfully so, in the Around not too long after that, our, com- our country began to have their eyes open to just how wrong that was on so many levels. And we began to enact child labor laws and mandatory school attendance and things like that, which were very, very important. But then as the child protection pendulum began gathering momentum, it swung too far to the other side. And kids who once contributed in considerable ways in the home, they became increasingly nonproductive and expensive, and that's about it, you know? The, the author says this, the author says, society no longer viewed children as miniature-sized adults, which they shouldn't because they're different, capable of work and resourceful problem-solving, but here's how far it swung. We began to see children as vulnerable dependents requiring a great deal of well-researched and precise care. Raising kids to become responsible adults, it was once integrated into life. That's how they learned. They, they learned how to become an adult by being with other adults who equipped them for adulthood. And not, it wasn't perfect. There was no perfect age, right? But, but, but there was, that was the general way that kids were trained up. 
Well, his culture began trending away from that, and his parents began turning to those in the culture that were considered the experts. It got harder and harder to keep up with the cultural expectations. It is no wonder that today's parents are experiencing, get this, depression. Parents are experiencing depression at twice the rate as the rest of the adults. Parents are twice as likely to be depressed. I believe this, another book we recommend, Teen Proofing. It's on to something when it says this, the problem with America's social policy is the replacement in one generation of what worked with what? With what? Sounds good. If you're just joining us, we're, we're in a series called Our Kids. And this isn't just a series for parents. When we use the phrase, our kids, in this series, we're talking about all the kids within all of our spheres of influence. Those of us who are adults, we have the great privilege and the great responsibility to train the next generation, to equip the next generation. And with a show of hands, how do you know that training is a lot harder than just telling? Training is a lot harder than just telling. In fact, there's a place to write this in your notes. You want to take out your green insert and write this down. Telling is easier than training. Far easier than training. It is far easier to give talks and lectures and constant reminders. But talks and lectures and constant reminders, they rarely result in lasting change. Here's a great quote from another great book called Gist. It said, reminders create what? Forgetters. Reminders create forgetters. One of the wins for this series was to provide you with a list of great resources like this that you could take back with you. Again, whether you're a parent, grandparent, uncle, auntie, coach, teacher, someone who just cares about kids. And we can become better equipped to equip the next generation. That was one of our wins here for this series. As people, to become equipped as people who would serve kids here with the nursery or kids church, youth group, or as a teacher, as a coach. We want to encourage all of us, take advantage of books like this, like The Gift of Failure, Gist. They're filled with practical advice. How do we equip the next generation? Practical ways that are going to help in this life. Well, that said, I also want to challenge us. Let's go further than that. Let's go further than just equipping them for this life. I also want to challenge us to go deeper. And our jumping off point for going deeper has, this, has been in the Bible. There's this section um, where it's got two first century letters. Uh, that are called First and Second Timothy. And they are a goldmine because they are written by a real guy who was equipping a real person. A guy named Paul equipping a person named Timothy. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 8 as we get started here. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to equip you with one. You can take one home. We keep a stack of them there at that table. They're there for you. So please take one as a, as a gift on this rainy July morning. All right, First Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this, Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also, what? The life to come. If we can help train people in godliness, we can train them for this life and, this life and, I tell you, as a parent of two girls who I love deeply, I don't want to settle for myths. I don't want to settle for what sounds good. I want to train them in ways that actually 
work. And as we opened this series, I gave you a teaser. In fact, I gave you two weeks in a row, I gave you a teaser about a study. A study that was done of 217,000 middle school and high school students from 318 communities, 33 states, that demonstrates the difference that this makes in real life. The difference that holistic training can have. And on your resource list, if you want to get access to these assets, as they're called, look at the book that says Faith at Home and then write chapter 3. You can find all 40 of these assets that we're about to talk about, along with some of the impact that they can have on young people's lives. The more of these 40 assets that a young person has, the more likely they are to make wise choices. Here's a few example of, examples of these assets. Asset number three, for instance, is this. Other adult relationships. A young person receives support from three or more non-parent adults. Can churches help with this? Yeah, we can definitely help with this. Asset number seven, the community values youth. A young person perceives that adults in the community value youth. Can we help with this? Yes, we can. Asset number nine, service to others. A young person serves in the community one hour or more a week. Can we help with this? Yes. Asset number 14, adult role models. Parents and other adults model positive, responsible behavior. Can we help with this? Yes. Asset number 15, positive peer influence. A young person's best friends model responsible behavior. Can churches help with this? Would you like help with this? Yes. I'll give you one last example. Asset number 39, a sense of purpose. A young person reports, my life has purpose. Can a church help with this? Yes. Churches that care about young people are uniquely positioned to help. And one of the wins, another one of the wins for this series, was for those of you, if you grew up in situations where church was not helpful, that you can, you can hopefully see, you know, from studies like this in this series, that the church is uniquely positioned to help if we do this right. If we seek God's wisdom and his guidance and his power and we do this the way he intended. It can make a real difference in people's lives. We can help one another. We can help our broader community like no one else can. The guy that dis- did this study, he noted that 25 or more of these assets are things that we can help each other with as a church. I've been a teacher. I've been a coach. I've done a lot of things with young people. I don't know anything on the planet that can help young people like the church can in ways that don't just sound good, but in ways that make a difference. And here's, here's one of the ways that they showed this. They didn't just say, here's these 40 assets. They sound good. They linked them to specific behaviors like this one. A student who's got zero to 10 of these assets are 39% likely to take illegal drugs. If they've got at least 26 of these assets, what does that drop down to? Less than 1%. There are things that we can do particularly as a church family, where we can make a real difference in the lives of young people. Our young people matter way too much for us to just be swept into trends that sound good but aren't working. There's a place to write this in your notes too. Enabling is easier. Enabling is easier than equipping. It's so much easier to just enable than to equip. And as churches are seeing fewer and fewer young people engage, there's a temptation to react by softening the gospel. 
to talk about loving God, which is central to everything we do. But if we're going to talk about loving God, we also have to talk about everything that means, including keeping the commandments. Or we talk about the importance of relationships. Relationships are foundational to everything we do. And the scripture talks about the importance of sound doctrine. It's not one or the other. We can also work so hard at entertaining young people that when we pull the plug on the lights and the fog machines and the videos and all the hype, they unplug too. One of the reasons why this church is so anchored to scripture is because we're committed to best practices. And I don't know anyone who did a better job of equipping young people with a faith that they were able to equip others with than Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know an example in all of history. And Jesus was very interesting. We've talked about this before as a a church family. When Jesus saw crowds grow really big, but for the wrong reasons, he would say something or do something to cut to the heart of that. And when all was said and done, and the book of Acts began after Jesus ascended to heaven, there was 120 people left. But that 120 were equipped. They were trained. And they went out to change the world against all odds. You you get a sense of this, what they were facing when you read Paul's words. Let's go back to Timothy. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 10. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be what? Persecuted. While evil people and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. I want to encourage you to keep a bookmark here because we're going to come right back to this and see where this passage takes us. As Paul is talking about all the persecutions and all the trials and everything, all these storms that Paul went through, as he's talking about those and saying, Timothy, get ready because they're coming your way too. We're going to see what he says next. But before we go there, I want to reflect just briefly on what we just read. Paul, he had welcomed Timothy into God's story. And Timothy, he had seen up close and personal this authentic faith that was modeled and he'd seen it with his own eyes. Timothy had a front row seat as Paul navigated the storms in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. We're going to study the book of Acts. We're going to dig into Acts this fall and we're going to see this. Timothy was there for these things and he watched and he saw how severe those storms were and he saw how Paul reacted in them. As Timothy served with Paul, we watched or he watched how Paul navigated the storms. And in doing so, Timothy was becoming equipped to navigate the storms of his own that he was about to face. In week one, we talked about the perfect storm that's facing today's young people. May I present to you that if that storm is a category two, what Timothy was about to face, category four. What was it? that Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to to do in Timothy's life to to equip him. It wasn't bubble wrapping the kid, was it? Mm -mm. It was exposing and and modeling and all these great things. All right, there's a great quote for those who would rise to the challenge of equipping instead of enabling or entertaining. And here it is, an old English proverb. 
A smooth sea never made a skillful sailor. Can I get an amen? Well, I am continually amazed by God's timing. Earlier in this series, I referenced a guy who was a Paul in my life. His name is Roger Twido. And so I, I threw his name out there as an example early in the series. What I didn't know then was that he was going to be in town this last week. I didn't know that. And I also didn't know he was going to send me an email to say, Hey, Chris, can I crash at your place? Well, I'm up here for this pastor's conference. So I'm like, this is great. So he was over at our place Sunday night into Monday, and we talked late into the night. He's the VP now of his denomination, and I can imagine Rod's like, mm, you know, welcome everybody to our conference, right? Well, we talked late in the night, but it was so much fun, and we were talking about stories because he and I did a lot of life together. And one of the stories that, that I just got teared up about when I, when I was reminding him of was the day at Camp Lutherdell when uh, we were getting ready for our week, and, and he took his clipboard, and I'd seen this clipboard now for like a year or two years, the clipboard that he would have, and he'd have a whistle on it, the clipboard he would use to lead the big games. I remember the day he said, Chris, this week, here's the clipboard, you're leading the big game. And I was just mostly ready <laughs> to lead the big game. I'm like, Raj, I don't know what you're doing, but all right, if you believe in me, I will. He handed me that, that clipboard, and, and I was just a kid myself. Again, I was only mostly ready for that moment, and in a masterful way, in the years that followed, Roger entrusted me with more significant responsibilities that I was also only almost ready for. And isn't that the essence of legacy leaving right there, isn't it? To hand someone a responsibility they're almost mostly ready for. That's what we do. And we give them progressively challenging opportunities then to learn and grow. Opportunities with real consequences and real opportunities to succeed. Well, what if? What if? Every one of us, regardless of your age, if you're 12, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, what if every one of us was looking for those clipboard moments? What if every one of us was modeling and welcoming people in? And what if every one of us was looking at those opportunities? This person is mostly ready. I'm going to entrust you with this responsibility. In a world where we're trending the opposite way, can you imagine the difference that would make? Now, we could go off on the whole direction of what that could mean for businesses, what that could mean for schools, what that could mean everywhere. Let's focus. What could it mean for our kids? What if every person, every age in this church was preparing someone younger than them for a clipboard moment? What if every kid in our church under the age of 13 was becoming equipped to care for their own stuff, to care for their own room, to care for their own personal hygiene? <laughs> Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, amazing. I'm surprised I didn't get an amen. I actually, someone clapped in the first service on that one, right? When the world is going the opposite direction, when we are just, we're like, Checklist, checklist, checklist. Did you, did you, did you, did you? Instead of that, what if we were equipping them and handing them that clipboard? So by 13, they were doing that. Not perfectly, but they were doing that. And then what about in their teens, 13 to 18? What if we were equipping them instead of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, did you, did you, did you, did you? Remember, reminders forget. Get reminders, create. Forgetters, right? What if instead we were equipping as a people? We were equipping them to take care of all their own money, 
to take care of their decisions, curfews, academics? What if we were equipping them to take ownership of all the things that you should have ownership with by the time you're 18? Can you imagine how different we would look from those around us? And do you think people would say, um, what are you guys doing? Now that's just the stuff, right? That's just the stuff of life. How much more if we were equipping people with faith, which holds promise for both this life and the next? What if we were that, what if even more serious about equipping them in that way? Again, it's easier to tell. It's easier to enable. But in a culture where that's the norm, imagine the witness we would have if we were training and equipping and again, the books that we have on there, some of these books do a great job. If you're thinking, I would love to learn how I could do that, there's some great advice in the books, but I want to focus on the faith piece. And here's the question I'd like to focus with for just a couple minutes. How do we equip young people with a faith that will continue to grow and to mature? As a church, we have never, ever had capacity like we have now to pursue these things that I'm about to give to you. And a third win for this series, a third win would be for those of you who already call this church your home, to come away from today with even greater confidence that we are serious about equipping our students and that we are committed to not just the stuff that sounds good, but the stuff that has worked. So we're starting to give language to that that matches up with our situation. And I huddled up with Pastor Dan, was it Wednesday? Earlier this week, we huddled up. And so here's some of the language we're using for this framework. Again, we didn't come up with this framework. It's been there all along. Moses was doing this with Joshua, right? So this has been a long time. Here's some of the words we're going to use. And there's a place to write these in your notes. We're going to be turning all this into ministry plans. We've got some, Caitlin, we got you scheduled for some huddles coming up. I don't know if you got the dates yet, but you're in. All right, it's going to be awesome. All right, so here it is, equipping the next generation. Two th- we'll give you the first two together. Personalized prayer and essential information. Let's pray for our young people the way Paul prayed. Can I get an amen to that? He didn't, it wasn't just this general, oh God bless our kids. It was It was a heartfelt, passionate prayer. Sometimes individual for Timothy with laying out of hands, calling forth things that were specific to his life. Sometimes it was for the entire city or the entire town, right? But personalizing for different situations. Let's pray that way. And then let's equip our young people with the essential information that they need. And nothing is more essential than the word of God, is it? I said we'd come back to verse 15. Let's look at verse 15 right now from 2 Timothy chapter 3. After Paul said, hey, get ready because these persecutions, these things that we're going through, these tough times, these storms, you're going to go through them too. That led directly into this about the word of God, dot, 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 and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I did not plan on having the word training and equipped in that same passage. Isn't that fun? This isn't our thing. This is God's thing. This is how it works. And one of the ways we equip young people with the word is how we present it. If we present it in a way that just feels academic, we're not going to equip them. What if we could get to this place where we, as we're talking about the word of God, it feels more like a Navy SEAL who is going on a mission and you're getting your briefing. 
I need this. Or it is halftime in the championship game, and we're communicating it like that. Or we're communicating it like a trusted friend who really cares and has proven that over years. And that trusted friend is coming and saying, here's something you need to know. That's how we should present the word of God. All right, two more. Equipping the next generation. Vital skills and great gear. Because it's one thing to give information, as important the information is. We also have to give the skills, vital skills. How do you discern God's will for your life? How do you hear his voice? How do you separate truth from fiction and all those kind of things? That's the vital skills. And then there's the great gear. The, the, the study Bibles, the stuff that can actually help you with these things. Um, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. Paul says this, he says, turning from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so, they departed from the faith. Christianity, the ink was still drying on the parchments, right? And they're already wrestling with these things. But Timothy was being equipped. Let's equip with vital skills. Let's equip with great gear. Two more things, equipping the next generation, helpful guides and committed companions. Our invitation at this church, is experience God with us. Christianity was never meant to be experienced alone. And the helpful guides are people that are barely ready to lead, but they're leading the right direction instead of the wrong one, right? Let's get those guides to come along who are a little bit further ahead and they're able to lead the right way. And then let's also get committed companions, peers, people their age that are also trying to live this out together. All right, last two on your list there, equipping that generation. Let's equip with eye-opening experiences and defined destinations. Eye-opening experience is something we talk about a lot around here. We want to spoil our young people for all other experiences. When I say spoil, it's not because we got the neatest fog machines, the neatest strobe lights. By spoiling, I mean things like this. I mean helping them with the word as they're opening it up going, are you kidding me? There is no book like this book. Amen. Equipping them and giving them experiences where they are experiencing authentic worship, where they go, you got the goosebumps the size of grapefruits, right? And you're just like, this is not like any concert I've ever been to. I'm encountering the living God. It's those experiences in community where this community is so authentic that it spoils you from all other experiences with other people. You're like, I want to get this. Those experiences that make you say, I met God, and I want more of that more than I want anything else. And then this piece here where it says, define destinations. We're going to get this down. I've been talking about this too long. We're going to get this down. Painting the target. Painting those milestones. Identifying milestones of healthy growth in a young person's life their baptism, their confirmation, their, the moment where they give their hearts to, to Christ. For us to start to say, let's clarify what those are and then let's celebrate when they happen. Now, I just, in probably three minutes, I just gave you what literally could be a doctoral dissertation, right? But I'm going to hit pause on that because I want to invite Dan and Jim and Donna to come up. And, and so as I even hit pause on our discussion there, I want to encourage, if you want to talk more about any one of these things and what that's going to look like, 
I'd love to have that conversation with you. So catch me after the, the service and be ready to talk for a long time. Come on up. And oh, oh yeah, you need to take this and I need to take this and this. All right. Thank you. Okay. So, um, but what I want to do right now is I've got these guys coming up because they're going to serve as the exclamation point on what I've just said, saying here. We don't want to just do things that sound good. We want to give you stuff that works. And so I invited a, a couple people here where we've seen this happening in their life. And we're going to start here with Dan. And Dan, I got a chance to see this in the first service. So I'll just show it all to you. Do you see this guy right here? Right? Right there? You can all see him, right? <laughs> okay. Guess who that is? That's Dan. This is his confirmation class. And some of you guys might be in this one too. Um, I know Emily Herman's in there. Uh, formerly Emily Heyer. Well, anyway, so I've had the opportunity and, and the honor, and I don't say that lightly, to have known Dan since he was a young man uh, who wore the orange audio adrenaline shirt every Wednesday. It was, it was every Wednesday night. And, uh, and with, with Dan, one of the reasons I asked him to be a part of things is, is we saw in Dan a lot of specific gifts and talents. And real early, we started handing you some clipboards in different ways, um, with music and with speaking and all these things. And as a person who had a chance to grow up in a church that was serious about committing, about um, equipping, and then also I know I've known his dad, Jim, for like 20 years. Um, I know that you grew up in a family that was serious about equipping too. So I just wanted them to get a chance to hear from you a little bit of, of how living in an environment that was committed to training, not just telling, the difference that that made yeah. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me preface this by saying that it is just... It's a blessing because I got asked to be up here, and these two men on my left and right have had the biggest influence on my faith development that anybody has had in my in my entire life in just these very in very different ways, but also just I honestly can't think of anybody who's who's done more in terms of encourage me and to um, to allow me to kind of step into who God has called God has called me to be. So thank you, thank you both for that, and so. Um, as I as I think about this, um, what does that look like of being able to rec- you know being able to recognize these things? Honestly, you saw things in me, like you guys have both seen things in me. When you're a ninth grader and you're trying to just you're just kind of going through this really awkward time, you're these to have people say we see this in you that you don't see these things in yourself. You you're kind of trying to sort through. What does the you know what does the world say? And I'm I'm a dad now, and so it's one of those things. As now I'm 33, and you can recognize um, the kind of the pervasive influence of some of the things that the world tries to offer you, especially young guys, especially when in that uh, in that really kind of crucial time in your life, and the stuff that when you're in it, when you're in the midst of that, you you don't see that for yourself. And so for Chris and for for Dad, for both of you guys to be able to say. Um, Here's this thing that you're that the world is telling you. Here's what's real, and so you guys, both of you guys, have pointed me towards the real. Um, a couple of those things, I think, from a family perspective, um, being able to say this, you know, for you to clearly articulate and to model this is what it feels. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just we're going to check the box of oh man, like I got a I got this interruption in my week of Wednesday night youth group, or we have this. You know, I've, I've got to go to church again. It's just to be able to say, this is, no, this is why this matters. This is what is, this is our, the foundation of our family. And uh, I, I appreciate that about being able to say this is, um, this is really what, what things are about. That our family is not about, um, you know, 
pride or any of these, you know, these other things, just to be able to say this, we, we love each other and that you've always given us like a, this idea of like home is a safe place where you can be, where you can be yourself. And um, I think Chris, the things that really stood out to me is, um, you know, from, from a music perspective and then from mission trips and camps and retreats to be able to give me the opportunity to uh, just to try things. It was something where I, you know, I did, I was, music has been the, one of these biggest things that I've ever had in my life. And um, to give me the opportunity to step up and uh, uh, to say, we see this, see this leadership gift in, in you. And uh, I don't, I probably, I would not be where I am in terms of having the opportunities to, uh, you know, to grow in, in music and to grow in, um, in my, you know, in my sense of, okay, God, you're, you're doing something in me and you've given me that, that chance to do that. So Thank you. Um, yeah, so those are, the, those are the things that really stand out. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. I got a question for Jim then, following off of that. And the thought that just came to my head too, um, didn't say this at, at 9.15, but even as you're talking, Dan, um, one of the things you did a great job of Jim is just getting him there. Because we would have never gotten to know Dan if he had just been coming once a month or whatever. And so for making that commitment to bring him on Sundays and Wednesdays, giving us a chance, opportunity to get to know him so we could call these things out. But with Jim... Um, Again, known each other a long, long time. And not only have I seen the way he poured into his family to equip them, but also I watched as he <laughs> signed on to, and you've got to ask him the story of how that whole thing happened sometime, but um, how he signed on for a group of seventh grade guys, and then he stuck with those seventh grade guys all the way until they graduated, and they're still in his life today. And so one of the things, if you could address, is one uh, specifically with prayer, that example with prayer of how did you not just tell them about prayer, but you taught them to pray? Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a monumental e- event on that Wednesday night when God suddenly <laughs> said to me, you're going to lead a seventh, group of seventh grade guys. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I listened and I did it. And seventh graders are, you know, well, they're trying to find their way. Yeah. And, um, and the way we always started our... Are, and prayer is such an important part of my life. I mean, I know that, just to step back for a second, I found out years later that my great-grandfather's grand, my great brother, so that would be my great-uncle, right, he was praying for our family. And because I, I became a Christian when I was 19, I, I thank God for answered prayer. And, uh, and in our life, in our, when I was raising these kids, when they fell down and hurt themselves or whatever, we didn't just kiss to make it better. We said, let's pray for that. And we would pray for them for that little hurt. And magically, they would get up and walk away and smile on their face. So uh, prayer works. It's where the rubber meets the road. And, and so with our seventh graders, I started out right away. And it was, it was me and Rick Blagan. So it was a team approach. But um, we would say, who has a prayer request? And somebody would have a prayer request. And we didn't anything was open for prayer. We didn't care if it was you know, a dog or something. It didn't matter. Right? It was really okay. And then who's going to pray for that? And we get somebody else in the group to commit to pray for that person. And they would have to pray out loud for that person. And, and it would go back and forth. Everybody would have a prayer request. And, you know, in those seventh grade and early eighth grade years, you know, it was, we were just doing that, right? Because we believed in it. But then in about the middle of the eighth grade year, a couple of really monumental prayer answers happened in that group. Uh, one of which was for my dad, who was suffering from Alzheimer's and was just gone into the nursing home. And they prayed for my dad. And, you know, he came home for four years. 
who comes back from a nursing home? You know? And uh, so that was a beautiful answer prayer, and they saw that. And that is what really sealed their faith. Answered prayer is so central to what we do. And the other thing I would tell them, though, too, is that in, you know, in uh, Genesis 3.1, as we see it example there, where Satan says, did God say? You know, he's talking to the woman at that time. But that's one of his most powerful weapons is to question our memory. He says, did God, did you really see that miracle happen? How else, you know, you, there must be another explanation. And we have to check that. And I would teach them that. You have to check that and say, no, wait a second. I did see that. It did happen. And that was a miracle. And uh, so, yeah, that's, prayer is really important. Thank you. Thank you. And now Donna, I've known these guys, you know, 20 years or whatever. Donna, been our church year-ish, right? Year, year and a half. All right. And already impact player. We love Donna. And we, I also, I've gotten to know you well enough to know this is your jam equipping, discipling. And so when we were talking, I ended up taking notes because she said amazing things like this. She talked about equipping as an investment. And so could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, this, this is my jam. This is my passion. Um, I get so excited about mentoring and discipleship. Um, I, we see that modeled, as Chris was saying in the sermon, Jesus invested by living with the disciples for three years. He did day in and day out. Um, personally, that was my experience with my youth leaders. I grew up in a small church, and there was one family, one core family, who led the youth group and brought us through, and they invested their lives in us. Their home was always open to us, whether it was for coming to hang out, grab something from the fridge, or whether it was for crisis. And through that, we saw how they lived their faith, how, what it meant to look like a follower of Christ, they modeled that. Um, they had a 1947 Greyhound bus camper that we took on youth trips, and it broke down a lot. <laughs> but through that, we learned about, like we learned and experienced Romans 8.28. Jack would be fast to quote it, or Mary, the wife, you know, they would just say, well, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's there because of them because it was ingrained in me because of how they invested. Mary would, I see the handiwork of God in the world, because Mary would be sitting in the bus while we were waiting for a repair, and she'd be looking outside and she'd say, oh, look, look at what God has done. Look at that beautiful sunset and how, what a great artist he is. And that has influenced me. They lived it, and they invested, and were a part of our lives. And that has formed and shaped who I am and why I'm so passionate about investing and mentoring and discipleship, which takes more than just Sunday morning, but also outside the, in your everyday life. See, these are the people, one of the wins here right now is you get a chance to see, these are the people you're sitting next to. You know, and these are the people, specifically, they're pouring into our kids, and we have so many gifted people in this congregation. And so for you to be able to see, you've got these resources that when the Sunday message is done, I mean, that's, that's one part of us getting better at all these things that we do. So can we have a big hand for these guys for saying thanks and thank you so much, you guys, for being a part of things. Well, as, uh, as they step down and as the worship band, if the worship band wants to get into place along with our communion servers, I just want to close with a couple, couple words here really quick. Um, my, my, that Roger Twight, who I talked about earlier, he had a, had a guy come to his church 
And the guy came to his church, and the guy had a real specific picture in his head of how pastors were supposed to act, especially in this conservative, um, extra-conservative Lutheran denomination. And, and after the service, he comes up to Roger, and he, he says, you know, you remind me more of a coach than a pastor. And that was not meant to be positive. But how do you think Roger took it? Yes. Imagine if we began to see ourselves more and more like coaches. Just for fun, I googled a coaching tree. Maybe you've heard of coaching trees before. In 0.48 seconds, Google gave me 140 million hits on coaching tree. Here's an example of a coaching tree. Um, and let me make sure I get my stats right here. And I got this off the internet, so you know it's correct. Um, <laughs> but look. What a coaching tree does, it can show how many great coaches can trace their roots back to a coach who coached them. And in 1998, uh, 20 years ago, half or more than that, probably half of the active coaches in the NFL could be traced to two coaches, Bill Walsh and Tom Landry. So here's Bill Walsh. Here are the coaches that he coached who then coached other coaches who became NFL head coaches. And just so you know that that wasn't just a thing in the 90s, fast forward um, several years later, an ESPN article from this year showed how most of this season's NFL head coaches are connected to one of the two Bills, Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick. This is how Christianity flourished, by people investing in other people who invested in other people who invested in other people. So the last blank you've got on your sheets today is more than just a blank. This is an invitation. Who are you going to hand your clipboard to? Consider that. Pray that. And once you hand that clipboard off and you're coaching them, get ready for the next clipboard. You could either hand to them or to someone else.